friends. Welcome to the Skyline Church podcast. I'm Jonathan Middlebrooks, one of the pastors here at Skyline Church. Skyline is a worshiping community, a disciple-making community, and a generational community. We're committed to seeing revival in our city sparked through the presence of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. These sermons are specific to that purpose and in the context of our unique community. We hope that it might bless you in some way. Enjoy. for this, but how's everybody? Great? Hey, I'd like to just start really an unusual way. I know it's strange, but I'd love to just take a second of silence. Like, if you'll just allow me to pray over you. Lord, we know you're here, and we're, you're so focused on each one of us individually. Like, you love us so much. And we know there's a little bit of room, at least, left for you to love us even more. If not for some of us, we just need all of it. So whatever's going on in my friend's hearts in this room, May they experience you, your fullness, your presence, your love, your grace, your mercy, your kindness, your gentleness. May you be clear to them today. And if there's anything that I say, Lord, that is not from you, just drop it to the ground. Get rid of it. We want you here. None of us want to hear Billy. We want to hear you. May your word speak. Holy Spirit, come. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so our, our staff team prays every Monday through Thursday right here in this room. Tuesday we had, we usually have a little conversation and then we get into praying and we have this incredible conversation about the difference between happiness and joy. I carried it on to my family. We sat at dinner and I asked that question with my boys. What is the difference? I I'd like for you to just to turn for half a second, only a phrase, share what you think the difference is between happiness and joy. Go. Okay, switch. If you haven't had your chance to share something. All right. <clears throat> I wish I could have heard all those conversations. It's, a, it's such a fascina fascinating conversation to have with your family, to hear everyone's perspective. You've probably seen a chart like this, but happiness versus joy. What catches my attention the most are the three in the middle. Having what you want is happiness. Wanting what you have is joy. External euphoria is happiness. Inner contentment is joy. 
Happiness is an effect. Joy is a cause. I found that joy certainly does come from within. And it comes through faith. Joy comes through faith in an object, in a person, and that's Jesus. It does not come from sight. It comes through faith. Oswald Chambers says this, A man is only joyful when he fulfills the design of God's creation of him. And that is a joy that can never be quenched. So, it begs the question, what are we made for? I mean, if you've been here at Skyline long enough, you've heard this before. But you, everyone here, whether you're a Christ follower or not, you were created for Jesus Christ's glory. Let that rest on you a minute. You were created for his glory. Isaiah 43, 7, everyone who is called by my name and whom I have created for my glory, whom I have formed, even whom I have made. We are made for the glory of God, but how? How do we glorify God? How do we do this? This question leads us to what I believe, my personal favorite chapter of the entire Bible. Does anybody know it? John 15, that's right. Somebody wins. John 15, 8. My Father is glorified by this. He, he makes it easy for us. How do we glorify God? It's when you bear much fruit. Not only that, it actually is the proof behind when you say, oh, I'm a disciple of Christ. Well, this is, this is the proof that you bear much fruit. We best glorify God through abundant, supernatural fruit-bearing. For in so, we reflect the very presence of Christ himself. Isn't that amazing? God created us to glorify him. I don't know about you, I am not, a, I don't feel that very often. To put it another way, we best glorify God when we are most like Jesus. We are most like Jesus when we submit our control of our life to God. Think about it. What did Jesus do? John 17, it actually says that Jesus submitted his will to the Father through that loving relationship of Father and Son. He would go away and he'd say, not my will, Father, but your will be done. Wow. Jesus submitted we submit to Jesus, and when we submit, he releases that gift. What's the gift? The Holy Spirit. When we submit to Jesus, we glorify God through the Holy Spirit living through us. Jesus continues to answer this question in John 15 when he says, These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you. There's that word joy. And that your joy may be made full. Actually, we receive an inward joy by living like Jesus. This doesn't cause everything to be perfect for you. When you submit, it doesn't just automatically make joy. Joy is something that comes through faith. But in those moments... If you've come broken hearted today, if you've broken 
you're sad, you're hurting. In those moments when it, are the, those are the times when it really counts. In those moments of real brokenness and hurt and pain, when he is allowed to live through you, it's like the weight of God is shown to the world. John Piper states it this way, and it's beautiful. We were made to be prisms, refracting the light of God's glory into all of life. Isn't that beautiful? It's my experience personally, I'm talking about for Billy and for working with people for over 37 years, we are only truly free when we are fulfilling that for which we were created for. We're only free when we fulfill what God created us for. This is one of my favorite quotes, Dwight Edwards. Nothing exhilarates our hearts like unhindered soaring to greater and greater heights of knowing and reflecting God's ravishing beauty. I wish I just spoke like that. Honey, your ravishing beauty is amazing. I, I just don't have that skill set. But I appreciate it when I see it. And I think Dwight captures it, doesn't he? Like, isn't that it? I think some of us are actually going, absolutely. And then some of us are going, that, what? That just doesn't make sense. Because I think some of us in this room are truly, they understand joy. And then there's some of us who, like I have been, are actually living for happiness. And there's a big difference, right? So let me pause. So to review, you, everyone here, were created for God's glory. We glorify God by submitting to the Holy Spirit living through us and leading us. His fruit is birthed and expressed by the fruit of the Spirit living out in us. Created for His glory, we submit to Jesus His fruit, the fruit of the Spirit of God who is in us. So now, back to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy, if you have your Bible, it's on page 992, it's in front of you. But we're in chapter 3, and I'm just covering one verse because I'm the low guy on the totem pole. The more important guys have to go through like 50 verses. I get one. I'm sure they would have appreciated me doing more, but I couldn't get past this one, honestly. It brings us to the study of 1 Timothy Paul, the mentor, the discipler of Timothy, he is saying to him something very, very, very important. He's actually saying it's a trustworthy statement. Let me get back here. Here is a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer or an elder, it's actually overseership is what it literally means aspires to have overseership in their life, desires a noble task. When you have time this week, Paul gives five trustworthy statements. Go on a spiritual safari. Find the other four because they're all so significant. Why would he bring forth the beginning of this verse with this saying? Here is a trustworthy saying. Trustworthy. Paul probably heard hundreds of trustworthy statements he was brilliant. 
He studied in the finest schools. He, t- he heard from the greatest scholars of his time. But just like you, I'm sure he had some granddads or grandmas who gave him some wisdom too. I don't know. You probably have a few of your own. Let me give you a few that I've heard over my lifetime. I don't know if you can read these, but these are trustworthy sayings that have have stumbled around in my life. Before I read them, though, I want to say a trustworthy statement is only trustworthy when you live it out. It, It doesn't become really trustworthy unless you live it out. So, like the first one, it's not a good deal if you don't need it. So it's not a trustworthy statement if you keep buying things that you don't need. You think I'm speaking to my wife, but I'm really not. I'm just, I'm here, I'm here just sharing some trustworthy sayings that I've heard in my lifetime. Which leads us to the second one. If you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. So if you keep saying mean things about people, especially your wife, you will not cause that statement to be trustworthy. One man's trash is another man's treasure. If you keep taking things off the curb of your neighbor's yards when it's trash day and keep stuffing them in your garage, if you keep doing that, it's not a trustworthy statement. My wife would probably say, practice what you preach. Like, Kelly might say something like, the grass doesn't get cut just by talking about it, right? She's never said that, but I'm sure. The apple never falls far from the tree. Sorry. Sorry, sons. That's the truth. There is some truth to that. I don't know what the trustworthy things are in your life, but you've heard them. You keep hearing them, and you keep being told there are things to trust with your life. Like maybe a hope it's your wife like it is for me. Like I I say to my sons, the most significant thing you need to find in your wife is that she's trustworthy. Maybe some of you, it's your friends, your dog, your old work gloves, your truck. It's definitely Dr. Fauci. I'm just kidding. It's CNN. It's Fox News. It's the government. Whatever it may be that you are putting your trust in right now. What is it? Paul is saying there is absolutely something to put trust in. And it's this statement. He shares this great advice to to Timothy. He's saying, Timothy, there is so much more to life than retirement. I mean, I look around this room and I know that some of the grayer-haired men understand because I've had this conversation with them. There's so much more to life than retiring. What is this elder thing? What... Who, who are we talking about here? These are people, men and women, who you and I want to rely on to teach us the way to grow old. That we would see in their lives a type of training manual. The Bible would call these people spiritual leaders. Ones who are eldering. I called Lance Humphreys when I lived in New York because we were trying to figure out like an elder board And I just, I wanted to know what an elder was. And he said, well, I mean, you walk into a room and you see these guys and they're just eldering. They're just eldering. I go, I just, yes, that is truth. 
So these, these people are eldering other people. Recently, Jesus convicted me. Of, I need to be pouring more into younger men. The a- younger men so that they would be faithful to see who they are called to be. And that is what I believe Paul is saying. Aspire to become such a man. So there's a couple of other words other than elder or overseer or overseership that I think are important. And I'm going to get to those in a minute. But I want to define elder in this way by saying what it's not. There are many things that an eldering person is, but here's what it's not. It's not someone who just sits on an elder board at a local church. An eldering person might be on a board like that, but you don't become an elder by doing so. Secondly, overseeing is not simply a part of your life that you strategically fit in when you have time. It is a lifestyle actually created from years of abiding with Christ. You know these men. You've seen it when you stop to talk to them on a baseball field or in your son's school or at your workplace. You know these men. And women. So an eldering person leaves a legacy of men and women behind them who have been impacted for Christ over the course of life's journey. In other words, your life and character live on in the lives of others. And even as I share this with you, you know what I'm saying is true. Like the trustworthiness of this statement is true. There is more to life. Life is about aspiring to something greater. Today, I'm calling you, like Paul did to Timothy, aspire to be an elder of your city. Be a man and a woman, or a woman. Don't be both, but be a man or a woman. Jonathan will give that talk later. Be a man or a woman who is eldering your city. When you grow up. If you're grown up. Then you need to be eldering. Let's define this word aspire. Aspire is an intransitive verb. Which I've learned. It doesn't need a direct object. But here. It is elder. Like we want to aspire. To great, have great ambition. Have this ultimate goal. goal strive to this end. So the question is, what are you aspiring to? What are you aspiring to become? I've thought of no specific person here. But is it your grandkids? Is it a new position at work? Is it a lake house? Is it a newer lake house? Is it fame? Is it fortune? Is it popularity? I'm going to get to that in a minute. If Jesus walked into the room, what would be the trustworthy statement he would say to you? Just you. John, Steve, Betty, Sally. I have a trustworthy statement for you. Here it is, Billy. For me, I've thought about this question. And I think it is something like zoom out. 
Zoom out, Billy. You, you're focused on the world, yourself, not on me. On the, on, you're not focused on the mission. You don't see I'm in control, and I will never break my promises to you. You have the Holy Spirit, Billy. He is everything you need, and I am putting together the kingdom of God, and it cannot be stopped, and you, Billy, are a part of it. You, Billy, were created to bring glory to me, to build my kingdom. But by the way, pain and suffering are actually a part of this. They're developing important character in you. They're actually building your faith in me. The object is not to become, to, to receive less pain and less suffering. The object is actually to aspire to glorify God with all your life. There's something bigger going on here, isn't there? It's bigger than the thing you need Jesus for. It's bigger than the political agenda. It's bigger than your job. It's bigger than the war in the Middle East. It's bigger than racism, injustice, America. It's bigger than your kids, your marriage. It's bigger than you. Jesus says, it's about me. And it's about my kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God. Everything Jesus did during his earthly ministry ultimately leads to his kingdom. Zoom out. There's two kingdoms. One kingdom's at war at you. It's gobbling us up. It wants us to be distracted. It wants us to move on. It's taking us away from the king. The king of kings. The Lord of lords. He's called you, he's called me, to so much more. He says, go, preach, the kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus says, I must also preach the kingdom of God to other cities. Because I've sent for this purpose. I love this verse in Luke 9. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to perform healing. That's you. It's not those people that we read about in the Bible. It is them, but it's also us. We have been sent out to preach the kingdom. We've been sent out to bring healing. Let me just ask you the question. Does this world need healing? Yeah. Guess who heals? Christ. How does he do it? He does it through you. <laughs> Your plan A. There's no plan B. And it will always need healing until he returns. Until Jesus returns, we will bring the healing to all the things I described earlier. To injustice, to prejudice, to wars, to evil. It's through you. It's through you living your lives for the king and for his kingdom. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do what? Do all for the glory of God. When you die, what will people say of your life? 
For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, you've heard this verse before, but you're going to read it with me again because it now is really making sense because I'm telling it to you, right? No, the Holy Spirit is actually here, and he wants us to understand that we cannot build on anything but Jesus. When he has laid a foundation that, is not, that he's not able to finish, all who are watching it will begin to ridicule him, saying, this person began to build and he was not able to finish. Or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men to face the one coming against him with 20,000. Otherwise, while the other is still far, far away, he sends a delegation and requests terms of peace. So then, none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his possessions. I'm sad to say that I've seen friends not build a strong foundation. You've seen them too, haven't you? Their lives have imploded. It's my opportunity to bring healing and to bring wisdom and insight that we are actually created to help people understand it's about giving up that kingdom for this kingdom i just want to focus just for a minute on my picture of what the life of a christ follower looks like okay so this is this is billy i i certainly believe you can change these things and put them in a different order and and there are other things you would add. I'm giving you a simplified version of Billy. I can back all this up, though, with Scripture. So I'm not trying to present some kind of kooky scheme here. But I think your life begins, we can all agree with that, at some point in time. Like you were born. That day, that year, that hour. Secondly, at some point, if you're a Christ follower... You made the decision to believe that Jesus is the king and that he will forgive you of your sins and that you can live eternally with him. And mo most importantly, have a relationship with him on earth. So at some point, if you haven't, you will understand you cannot live this life on your own. Apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. That revelation, that epiphany will hit you, and you will understand. You'll understand it's not working, me doing it all by myself. And you'll get that call from one of us. It's about abiding in Christ. And then, or it might be in a different order, like I said, but you will be, you'll receive this calling that Jesus says to all of his followers, go and make disciples of all nations. None of us are exempt from any of these things. They're actually a beautiful part of who we are. We get the privilege to go and make disciples of all nations. But not until last year did I realize there's actually, and it might be because I'm old and I'm getting older. My time is running out. But when I hit this verse in Timothy, when it said, Timothy, aspire to be an elder. It is a noble 
cause. It's a great, it's the most important cause because it's what you were created for. That there's another. I believe every one of us should be eldering our city at some point in our life. That's my belief. There's no question about it. Now, again, I'm not saying you're on an elder board of some church. I'm talking about eldering. Bringing life by pouring into people and helping them grow in their spiritual walk. So, at some point, and I hope it's now, if you've never heard it before. At some point, you need to be challenged with this message. To aspire. To go for greater things. Your end is not retirement. It's not things. It's about God's kingdom. It's about Him. And it's about finishing your life to transform your city. I was never more impacted by this thought than during the pandemic. Because I looked around and I go, there's just not a lot of older men going for it right now. We're living in fear. We're, we're, we're afraid. We're, we're caught up in our own things. And instead of getting angry, I realized, no, actually what I need to do is just start helping younger men aspire to be there. And so that's what I've done. I've changed my life. Like, I want to be a part of helping others elder their city. Just recently, went going through something. Complete stranger in the midst of actually thinking about this difficult thing. In the morning, reading my Bible. A complete stranger, an older man, texted me. Didn't even know his name. But he said like five words. And I began to weep. And then I shared it with my wife. And then she just started bawling. Because God used this man, this stranger who had enough faith and enough courage to find my number and text me knowing I was going through something. And just say five words. It's called love. Really. At the end of the day, it's loving people. So, I just want to, I want to end our time. I think I was supposed to ask the band to come up. Can I do that? I just want to ask you guys some questions. Wherever you are on this scale, on these things, if you haven't accepted Christ... Will you come to me after the service or one of the pastors or one of the prayer people that will be down here and just say, I've never accepted Christ. I've never started the journey of following Christ. We're not going to make you do anything. We're simply going to tell you what it means to follow Christ. And if you want to follow Jesus daily because you're struggling with that, schedule, change it, participate. I'm going to start a class this summer on just what it means to abide. you want to abide daily, participate in a discovery Bible study. If you want to make disciples, lead a discovery Bible study. And if you want to be in a training for eldering, 
then do the other four, and you'll be asked. It's been a joy. There's about six or seven guys that I've been taken through on a journey of eldering in this church, like what it means to actually invest their lives in this. And as we pray, those men would testify this is really what we are to live our lives for, to go for it together. I just want to share, does anyone know who Mary Slessor is? Got one. Mary Slessor was a devoted missionary with nearly 40, I'm reading your book right now. You knew I had to cry at some point. Here's, here's where it is. Mary Slessor was a devoted missionary. She died in 1915 with nearly 40 years dedicated to the nation of Nigeria. While pouring into the nation in which she loved, Mary would become one of the first single missionary women to make a nationwide impact. Bravely, she did missions work without a team or a family. Mary transformed whole communities with the love of the gospel, starting with orphanages, preaching the good news, standing up for women's rights, and saving many innocent lives from death. Today, almost 200 years later, hospitals, schools, orphanages, and churches all stand because of the impact Mary Slessor left in West Africa. There's a story about Mary. Mary started churches in Nigeria. But her conviction was that a man should be the pastor of that church. So she started the church, she began the church, and then she waited for a man to come and lead the church. You know why? So she could go to the more dangerous place. Because she went upriver. She went to more danger, more uncomfort. And she'd start another church. You know what she'd do? She'd invite a man to come lead that church. You know where she'd go? She'd go up the river. I don't know where you're going today, but I want to ask you, there is somewhere he wants you to go today. One of these places God wants to lead you. We're going to have a prayer team up here. You don't have to have some massive, major, ma terrible thing in your life to be prayed for. But this would be a wonderful place for you to come down and just say, I need prayer. One of these things is not really connected and working. Will you pray for me? would love to pray for you. Thank you for listening to this week's teaching at Skyline FKC. Again, here at Skyline, we are a worshiping community, a disciple-making community, and a generational community. So if you would like
any more information on that, please go to our website at skylineokc.com and connect with us via that way. Thank you guys. Have a great week. Thank you.